Hello, everybody. Welcome back to March is a Start. Today is Tuesday, March 21st. The first weekend of the NCAA tournament has been completed. We are now left with 16 teams. Wow, what a first weekend it was. Craziness has ensued. College basketball has taken over the nation. The storylines, the teams, everything that has gone on has been absolutely insane over these first four days of the tournament. Um, what a what a time to be a college basketball fan. What a time to watch college basketball. Everybody stayed safe. Bad weather ensued over the week. It's the way it goes. It gave us more time to just sit in front of the TV and absorb every single second of college basketball. What an amazing time. Now, we can't go game by game and recap everything. That's just, it's not possible. We started out with 67 games in this tournament. We are down to 15 left. We can't go and break down all the 42 or 52, whatever it is, 52 games that have been played. We can't do it. It was fun. It was a great time. I hope everybody enjoyed it just as much as I did because I enjoyed it maybe more than anybody in the world. It was so much fun. Let's get into it, though. We're going to talk some of the major storylines. We're going to talk a couple head coaching things um, towards the back end of the episode. But at the beginning, of, most of this episode is going to be spent, obviously, on the NCAA tournament. There's just a couple things that that have gone on in college basketball um, this week that are outside of the tournament that are definitely interesting or, and are worth talking about. Um, but let's get right into it, right into the tournament. Uh, before, before I start, I guess, I do want to mention a thank you to Rico Bosco, um, return of RB. <clears throat> Sorry about that. Uh, definitely enjoyed having him on. Great guy, great guest. It was awesome for him to come on um, and get to talk some college basketball with us. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. One of my favorite college basketball minds. Definitely going to be having him on again. Uh, maybe not this year, but next year, hopefully for, for something. Uh, yeah, but let's talk about college basketball right now. All right, let's talk about the tournament. Well, we're just going to make this easy. And we're going to go region by region. Um, I tried to think of a couple different ways to go about this and to do this. Region by region really did seem like the best way. Uh, otherwise, I don't know how else how else we exactly would uh, would be going about it and make sure we didn't miss everything. Okay. Um, so let's start out with the south region, that top left region corner of your bracket. If you're looking at a bracket while we're talking about this, uh, we are left with Alabama, San Diego State, and Creighton, Princeton. Uh Definitely an intriguing matchup. This one is being played in Louisville. Uh, this regional is. But what we saw in, in these first days in this region was quite possibly, I don't know, it's a dream scenario for Alabama. It could not have gone better for them. Nate Oates has coached great. Alabama's played really, really well in every single game they've played. Um, both games they have won by double digits and really just absolutely dominated. They've dominated. Won by 21 points in the first game and 22 in the second game. This was all set up by those Princeton Tigers. Tigers. Uh, going in and just, just really taking out Arizona. Um, there was times in that game where it looked like Arizona was maybe going to grab control of it, and then all of a sudden they'd let go of the lead, and and Princeton would come firing back. 
really Princeton just outplayed them. Nobody has shot the three well in this tournament, and that definitely does uh, not exclude Arizona. They did not in their one game that's been played. Uh, I don't think I don't know if Tommy Lloyd didn't quite have the playbook drawn up for this Princeton team. I'm not sure what was the case there or what was the reasoning there um, for that one. But really, Princeton just outplayed them from start to finish um, in that game. And it really mattered about who made shots at the end and who made plays at the end. And it just seemed like every step of the way, Princeton was ready to do that and was willing to do that. Um, now, it was a close game. It was, it was a four-point game. You know, it's not like they went and took off and did some, like, UMBC Virginia-type stuff. Um, so so I'm not going to get out of hand and say that, you know, like, Princeton just walked in and dominated this Arizona team. But, but they played well the entire time. They kept themselves alive. And when you're the low seed playing in one of those environments, you know, there's really no home court. So all the other games that are being played there when there's this like big upset brewing team. I mean, the fans just start pulling for you. And the next thing you know, you're playing in a hometown environment. Uh, but it was great. I'm, I'm not sure what Arizona was doing. Um, they have two of the best big guys in the nation, uh, Tubales and, and Balo. Uh, and, and it didn't seem like, you know, Tubales, he just, I don't, I don't know. he, he, he had it going for a little bit, and then they it slowed down. He couldn't get shots to go. Uh, Princeton rebounded the wall, the ball pretty decent in that game. I think that made quite a bit of a difference. Um, but yeah, I mean, Princeton just came in and took out Arizona, and that was, you know, I don't want to say the first big upset because obviously we'll get to that later in this region with what happened. But yeah, that Princeton, Princeton, Arizona, definitely something that needs to be talked about. Uh, something else, the parity in this sport has been so great lately. The past three NCAA tournaments, we have seen a 15 seed take out of two. It started three years ago in the 2021 tournament with Oral Roberts um, knocking off the Ohio State Buckeyes. Last year, obviously, we saw the St. Peter's Peacocks take out the Kentucky Wildcats. This year, we see the Princeton Tigers take out the Arizona Wildcats. The parody's been great. Um, anybody can beat anybody on any given night, and we've been shown that this tournament. We we see it happen right before our very eyes and 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 how great it is to be able to see that you have to be locked in to every single game. I know it's a lot. It's 16 games a day. Those first two days, you have to be locked into everyone. Cause something crazy might happen. Some crazy did happen. Um, but yeah, Princeton, Princeton just outplayed them towards the end of the game. They got hot. They made plays when they need to. And, and realistically, Arizona just didn't. So definitely something to look into um, for that Arizona team. They need to take a deep look at themselves. I mean, they, they lost six games or seven games, I guess with that Princeton loss and, yeah, just, just a really wild way, but uh, the first real upset of the tournament came also in this South region when Furman just came in and, and and beat Virginia in a game that it looked like Virginia pretty much had full control of, and then all of a sudden Furman just like came storming back, and obviously what we thought was going to be the story of the tournament was going to be that Kihei Clark pass. Uh, he's trapped in the corner, you know, weaning seconds left, six, seven seconds left, Throws a one-hand pass wildly over his head, gets picked off at half court. They they uh, make one pass. One guy hits a three, and, and uh, Furman ends up winning that game by one point. Uh, now, Furman went and got smoked by San Diego State. Um, that's not much to say there, but yeah, I mean, absolute chaos ensued in this region. Uh, it, it worked out well for Alabama. If you could have told Alabama the draw that they got, I think they liked it. Um, maybe they were a little scared of Creighton at that six seed, and obviously they're still alive. Um, and, and Arizona wasn't a bad two seed, but you know, the two seed gets knocked out in the first round, the four seed gets knocked out in the first round. And then in the round of 32, the three seed gets knocked out and we're looking around and it's one, five, six, and 15 left in that South region in in an absolute, uh, insane game. 
San Diego State played really well. Um, also, they're another team that's left in this. I'm not going to go through them right now. We'll come back around on them um, in the back end when we when we talk about the uh, rest of the games that are are to be played um, in this tournament. So we'll hit them on the back half of this, but we're just going through the games that have been played right now. Uh, somebody mentioned a little odd in the first game. I'm not sure how many people noticed it just because they played so well. Brandon Miller didn't score a single point in, in Alabama's first round matchup. Now they scored 96 points. They didn't exactly need him to. And, and their game really wasn't much of question the entire time, but definitely interesting to see him, you know, not score a single point. Alabama still put up 96 and shoot the three in an extremely high clip, which they've done for a lot of the year. So uh, good for Alabama, but yeah, just a quick recap on that. This, this really was the region of chaos. I'd say uh, it was, it was, what March is this region was what March is. And you go and look at this and I'm not sure if anybody had this sweet 16 for this region picked out. Um, if you did good for you, you saw something that none of the rest of us did. I wasn't super confident on the PAC 12 coming into the tournament. Um, obviously as, as it stands right now, um, the PAC 12 only has one team left and that's UCLA. Uh, but when you only get four teams in, it's, it's obviously tough, but, um, yeah. So that's the South region. What's happened. Uh, to start it off, let's move over into the top right corner, the Midwest region. Houston, Marcus Sasser gets a little banged up. They still take care of Northern Kentucky relatively fine. Northern Kentucky hung around in that game for a lot more than uh, a lot longer than they should have. Um, and then Houston went and beat Auburn. And if you watch that game, I'm sorry, that's not what college basketball is about. There was 12 straight possessions that ended with either Houston or Auburn at the free throw line. It was a brutal game to watch. Auburn made four shots in the entire second half. Um, not a pretty college basketball game. I mean, a game that probably Houston wants that that's how they want to play. It didn't start out super well for them, but uh, it, it turned out really just fine for them in the long run. Uh, Houston, obviously still a player in this whole thing though. Uh, it, it's going to be really tough to stop them or knock them out. I think I think because of that, um, some people are slightly worried about what's going on with this uh, Houston team just because of how those first couple games went. I don't think I would be right now. They This is the brand of basketball they've played all year. They're absolutely fine. They're fine with slowing the game down and not really blowing anybody out. Um, really no concerns with Houston so far. This region came out... Uh, a relatively pretty chalk. No, no huge takeaways. Iowa State sucked. Um, that was one big takeaway. That was an awful game. They're terrible. Um, I thought the Caleb Grill thing they had maybe gotten past a little bit. They hadn't. They missed his offensive production. They missed uh that other weapon on their team. You could really just like lock in on guys like Gabe Kalsher and Lipsy and, and eliminate them from the game plan. And then all of a sudden Iowa State was looking around like, oh, who's gonna score for us? That's exactly what Pitt did in that game and just absolutely dominated them. Uh, this was a region though, where some teams kind of hung around a little bit. Drake hung around with Miami that entire game. Um, Auburn, Iowa was all the way back and forth. Xavier, Kennesaw state, Kennesaw state looked like they were going to win that game for a while. Um, so that was really interesting. Indiana. I don't know what to say about them. I mean, I think we knew the big 10 was frauds this whole entire time. And obviously there's one big fraud team in, in the big 10, uh, that we're going to talk about when we get to a later region, but uh, the big 10 did exactly what the big 10 we thought would do. Like they go and beat up on the little school or whatever. And then they get and play uh, a power five school and they just get ran out of the gym. I don't know exactly what you do about that. 
from the Big Ten standpoint, Indiana was just so up and down all year. You know, they at the at their best, they were a really good team. At their lowest, you know, they were playing with some of the bottom teams in the country. So, I mean, Indiana didn't play well. You feel you feel bad for those kids, but they just got outplayed by Miami really the entire night. Uh, Penn State Texas was a great game. We 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 definitely need to revisit that one. Um, it looked like Texas was in control at the start of the game. And then Penn state made a big comeback. Uh, I think uh, Strasbury, the uh, Penn state head coach, he's going to be maybe looked at for a couple other coaching jobs. Now Providence has obviously opened up and, and who, who knows what else, uh, what other top jobs are, are going to be available. So, I mean, a great, a great uh, game plan from him. Texas A&M, I think everybody thought like, Oh, they got screwed out of the tournament last year. They're going to come play really well. Guard play obviously does really well in March. Um, they didn't look like they deserved to be on the same court as Penn State. Uh, off night for them is really what you have to chalk it up to. It sucks to have that in the first round of the tournament, but really that's what it came down to, and 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 that's just what it was um, in its entirety. Not much more to say about that. If if you're looking here, um, I think it's very realistic that we see a champion come out of this region. Um, there's four teams left, Houston, Miami, Xavier, Texas. This It's going to be a battle. Um, again, towards the back end of this episode, we'll talk about the, the future matchups, but... These are all four teams that I think can make a run that that have the intangibles to go out and do it. Um, so this is a really strong region in Kansas City. Um, maybe may, I don't I don't want to say the most exciting um region just because of of that West region, but definitely one that like it's 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 worth you you want to be tuned into every single game. Uh, these games in in this region are going to be the Friday games, so definitely something you're going to want to check into, but. Not, not, I guess, a whole lot to be said about this Midwest, Midwest region. Um, Miami did what we thought they were going to do. They were a tournament team this whole entire time. They came out and played really well uh, from, from start to finish. So, yeah, that's just a quick overview. Midwest region, a little bit boring. It, it, it ended up all pretty chalky. Um, obviously, Pitt blew out of Iowa State, which which I covered, and then we covered the Penn State upset. So, um, not not too much to touch on other than that. Uh, I, I, guess, I guess one other thing. Uh, a big thing that was talked about on the way coming into this tournament is how much of an advantage Auburn got for getting their games in um, Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I talk, I, If you listen to the last episode, we talked to Rico about that, uh, how much that matters with teams, you know, getting less travel and maybe playing in a little bit more of a home environment. He said it's something to look at, but it's not something you can base everything off of. Obviously, we saw that in the Houston game. Houston still played really well and just outplayed Auburn and and the crowd didn't make much of a factor in that game, but you could tell it was a home crowd during the Iowa game. So I don't know. It's back and forth. Uh, like he said, it's not something you can, you can base everything off of, but it's something that it, it needs to be talked about. and needs to be looked into. So moving into the West region. Now this is one where I think here, here we see our best region here. Here's where, it's weird because it's our best region and could there be the national champion out of this? Yes, but I don't think there will be. I don't think a national champion will come out of this region, but, it, but I mean, I, I suppose it could. There's three teams that I think probably could win it in this region. And surprisingly enough, one of them is Arkansas. Um, I think Arkansas can win it, but uh, going through the games, when, when you look at those first round games, there, there wasn't too much to be said. TCU obviously had the, had the like, them and Furman had the closest thing to a quote-unquote buzzer beater in March Madness. We haven't seen one of those in a while. It'd be nice to see one. I also got no overtime games in the first two rounds, which a little bit surprising, but it's the way it goes. Uh, everybody kind of take care, everybody that was supposed to take care of business kind of did in this region. Um, 
flat out Kansas dominated Howard, Arkansas, Illinois. We thought that'd be a good game. I don't I, just a disappointing season if you're an Illinois fan. I mean, Matthew Mayer comes in, Terrence Shan Jr. comes in, and you're like, oh, this is like a team that has some potential. Obviously, you have that uh Hawkins kid or whatever that I absolutely hate Coleman Hawkins, but whatever. I'll get beside him. I was happy to see him lose that game, but I don't know. Uh, nobody shot the ball well in, in in this tournament, really in this region. Um, shooting's been a problem, but uh, yeah, it, it, it was a pretty basic region, you know, coming out here when you're looking at the first round. When you look at the second round, we got a lot of really good games. We found out a lot of stuff about a lot of teams. Arkansas and Kansas is one that definitely needs to be talked about and definitely one that needs to be looked at right here because that was such a great basketball game just to watch as a basketball as a, as a basketball person, you sat down, you watched that game. And you're like, this is what March is. You just sat back and you're like, what, what beauty is in front of us watching all this go on, watching these games get played out or this game get played out. It was absolutely amazing. Eric Musselman's Mr. March. There's no really denying it at this point. I know he hasn't like gone and made a final four yet, but I mean, he, he, takes teams beyond their expectations in March. It seems like year in, year out. Um, Bill Self not coaching for Kansas. I think it it was a factor. Um, now, the interim guy did a fine job, and Arkansas was a really good, talented team that was hurt for a lot of the year. You have to remember, they were like a top-10 team coming into the season. So, like, this isn't a team of scrubs, an eight seed that just, like, kind of, like, fell their way into this situation. They were a good team all year long that suffered injury problems and and had some dry spells throughout the year that really hurt their seeding, but it was a dream or a, a, a nightmare matchup for for Kansas with them being the eight seed and and um what a game you know Musselman a lot of a lot of people hate him for how out, out outward he is um you know taking his shirt off at the end of the game and standing up in the crowd and waving it but those Arkansas guys they buy into it they they'd run through a brick wall for this guy and you know you you hear what some of these kids say about him and you know you get on campus and it's like or he recruits you and it's like, oh, this looks so fun. And then you go through the first four or five weeks of practice and you're like, this guy needs to be put in a sane asylum. And then, you know, you get later in the year and it's like, oh, he really knows what he's talking about. So, I mean, that that was a game that Arkansas really just went and took from Kansas, I guess. Um, Kansas, obviously, obviously, I think the better team. Um, And something I talked about throughout part of the year was that would it hurt Kansas not having that staple big man that they've had? Now their big men have not, I mean, outside of like Joel Embiid, who was like the second best player on the Kansas team the year he was there, obviously he was with Andrew Wiggins at the same time, but it's usually not their best player, but it's like a key factor. Just like that down low rim protector. Is it, is it a problem that your center is six, seven Kansas is wondering that the entire time it turned out it was, um, Arkansas got into the lane a lot against them and drove into the hoop and, and was able to create shots around the bucket, high percentage shots instead of having to sit out there and shoot jump shots. And that's what won them the, the game in this one. Um, I don't know what else to say about that Arkansas, Kansas game, Arkansas went out and took it and it was great to watch them finally come in to who we all thought they were going to be last year. Now, I'm not going to try to equate them to North Carolina of last year, because obviously they have a lot more work to be done before then. They got to win three more games to get to that point. I'm not sure if they're going to be that kind of team, but it, it it feels like the same type of team where it's like, we know how good these guys are. We just need to finally see them put it together. And it looks like they maybe have finally done it. Now, Musselman's never been to a final four. Can he get over the hump? You know, he's got to beat. he's going to have to beat two really, really good basketball teams. Um, and that's, that's definitely said UConn is playing just like they were at the beginning of the season. 
Uh, Sonogo has been playing super well for them. Um, they have guys all over the all over the court. Hawkins has played well, obviously, for UConn um, in this tournament. So, I mean, UConn's going to be no no shy matchup for them. Again, we'll get to those again, but uh, yeah, it's UConn's playing just as well as they ever have all year. Um, they they, and I guess that you could say a close close one with I Iona. It was close in the first half, and then UConn really just came out and dominated. Uh, you question where. Rick Patino's head wasn't that game, just that he's already taken the job at St. John's. I think he's known he was going to get that job for quite a while. So, I mean, the question where his head maybe was coming into this game, but they played well in the first half and then really just got kind of like out coached in the second half, which you don't see much from Rick Patino, but it's what you saw in this one. Uh, going, going more down the list, TCU Gonzaga was an absolute classic game. Uh, Zaga played well and, and they were super overlooked coming into the tournament. They still haven't gotten a lot of traction. I think teams are still like, oh, like this isn't as good of a Gonzaga team as they usually are. I, I mean, I don't know, man. They're they're really solid. They Drew Timmy obviously plays really well in March. They're scoring points right now. They're holding teams. Um, I mean, TCU's a good offensive team. They scored a bunch of points on them, but they have the potential to play really good defense. Now they're going up against a good defensive team in UCLA in the next round, but uh Gonzaga's got it offensively clicking right now, which was part of the problem for them at some point throughout the year is that if Drew Timmy wasn't having 30 points a night, then, you know, was uh, Julian Strother, was he having a good game? Because if he wasn't having a good game, then their options get really limited. And what's going on there? Um, it seems like they've got it figured out. It's it's, it's come to the point where um, Gonzaga is almost being overlooked, which is crazy to say, because I think overlooking Mark Few is, is a dangerous thing. This guy that's been to multiple championship games, multiple final fours. Now he's never won one, um, but he's been to many. So yeah. And then, uh, UCLA came out and just, uh, did what they needed to do against Asheville. And then Northwestern gave them a little bit of a scare, but really came out and did what they needed to do there. They play good defense. They've shown that in this tournament, um, offensively. Yeah. They, they can struggle to score. Um, that worries me. But, uh, yeah, UCLA obviously played well all year. Um, coach with very limited second weekend experience again here. Uh, we're unless Tom Izzo wins this thing, we're gonna have a coach, a new coach that becomes a national champion, which is exciting to see because it feels like that doesn't happen all too often. It seems like there's a couple guys that have won multiple and very few guys that you know have won one. So, but a lot of those guys that have won multiple are gone. So it, it's interesting to see here. Let's get over to this East region. Uh, what a weird region uh, this one was. I think we all knew Purdue was not as good as like the number one team in the nation like they were all year. Zach Heady was really good, but if he doesn't, you know, if he can't do what he he can do every single night or if he gets in foul trouble, Purdue's going to be in some trouble because their guards don't shoot the ball as well as they probably should. And, um, they were a little bit younger, their guards were this year. So, like, did they make some dumb decisions with the lawyer? Um, and it turned out that, yeah, if Zach E doesn't score every point, they can't win the game. Uh all the credit to Fairley Dickinson. Uh, all the all the credit to Coach Tobin. He actually just took the Iona job that Rick Patino had. Um, again, we'll touch on that in, in just a little bit, but he's already moved on one year at FDU and he already got the uh the Iona job. That's that's pretty crazy. Uh, if you had heard the story on him, he had been fighting for a D1 job for quite a while. I had interviewed for some, just said that he couldn't get any tread with it. Finally landed the Fairleigh Dickinson one. Um, they only had four wins coming into last uh or coming into this year. You know, last year they only won four games, so it wasn't a great team. He brought a lot of his D2 guys that he had uh uh to this team and had a ton of success with them. 
a ton of game planning credit go out to him. If you heard him in the, um, they had to play in the first four, actually. They had to play Texas Southern. Um, now they absolutely dominated Texas Southern from the moment that game tipped off to the moment the game ended. But after the game, he said, the more I watch Purdue, the more I think we could beat them. Um, it was a bold statement. He called his shot and he was right. And even crazier than Purdue losing to a 16 seed, which obviously it's only the second time it's ever been ever been done. Um, the other time was five years ago with UMBC beating Virginia. Was that Fairleigh Dickinson wasn't supposed to be playing in March Madness. They didn't, this is the only automatic qualifier that didn't win their conference tournament. Merrimack did. This conference, the NEC, is historically the worst conference maybe in college basketball, Division One college basketball. In, in the 64 tournament team era, before this game, they were 0-31. Nobody had won a game in that conference coming in. And they technically weren't supposed to be there. And they still came out. You know, David Goliath, they're David. And they they shot a they shot a couple stones right between Zach Eady's forehead and eliminated him from the game and went out and took it. Um there's been questions swirling with with Purdue. I guess, you know, I've touched on FDU. They played a great game. They're a really small team. They're really fast and made things tough and swarming, and their defense was all over the place. Um, but obviously there's questions with Purdue now. Last year, or let's let's go back. Three years ago, they lost to or two years ago, I guess say, whether you count this year or not. Two years ago, they lost to the 13 seed North Texas in the first round. Last year in the Sweet 16, they lost to St. Peter's, the 15 seed. Now, they went to the Sweet 16, but they lost to a 15 seed. This year, they lose to a 16 seed. This is a team that's a top five seed every year, pretty much, for the last six years. Top of the conference. Believe it or not, Purdue's won more Big Ten regular season championships than any other school in the Big Ten. More than Michigan State, more than Michigan, more than Ohio State, more than those Big Ten schools that have been around, and Indi more than Indiana, more than those teams that you think of like old basketball schools. One more games, or one more conference championships than any of them. And zero tournament success, pretty much. Matt Painter's never been to a Final Four. He was a couple breaths away, you know, um, in 2018 when Virginia just made a great play to force overtime and they ended up losing that game and Carson Edwards just almost willed them, put them on their back to go all the way to the Final Four. Um, but they ended up losing that one in a heartbreaker. But tournament success is a big thing when you're a college coach. I'm not saying I'm calling for Matt Painter's head. Some people are. I'm not quite there yet because he does have a ton of success, but he needs to bring some of that success to the tournament because there's real questions going on right now with like, what's going on here. We can't keep losing to lower, like low bad seeds every single year. But I mean, it's, it's interesting to see. I'm not, yeah, again, I'm not, I'm not there quite with calling for painter's head. Um, more of my question for Matt painter would be like, why is Zach Eady only taking one shot in the final 12 minutes of the game? when he's obviously your best player you're playing against, like the shortest team in the NCAA tournament. Also, FDU had the worst strength of schedule in the nation. There's 363 teams in college basketball. They had the easiest schedule in college basketball. And they went out and beat like this team that was number one for part of the year and top 10 basically for the whole entire season. You can say Purdue overseeded like exceeded expectations in the regular season because obviously they lost Jaden Ivey and they weren't supposed to be as good, but like you can't, then it came to the tournament and you lose to a 16 seed. What else can you say? I mean, 
I don't know, frustrating if you're a Purdue fan. This has been year in and year out. You know, they the the saying is in 49 states it's just basketball. Um we live in Indiana. Notre Dame sucked. Indiana got bounced by Miami in a the game they got throttled and Purdue lost to a 16 seed. Uh, does it mean more? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. Uh, let's move on. Florida Atlantic. This is the team with the best record in the tournament so far. Um, all year long. 31-3. Lost three games on the entire season. Played super well all year long. Went out and did the thing against Florida uh, against Memphis. And yeah, some controversy. You know, you can say Memphis got screwed by the refs in that one. I, I don't know. You got to go back and forth. There's a lot more calls. I'm in every game and you can play about the refing in this tournament. I know a lot of people have, I don't, I'm not going to subscribe to that. Um, it's been a great tournament. It's something that we all love. I'm not, I'm not going to blame the refing on that one. Um, there's things that Penny Hardaway squad could have done, you know, like the missed timeout call and the jump ball call. They weren't great. And then the questionable foul call at the end, but at the end of the day, Florida Atlantic won that game. They went out and you can say they got a cakewalk cause they had to play FDU, but FDU just beat Purdue and they were on an all time high. So like how easy of a cakewalk is that after you actually hung around in that game. So, uh, yeah, Florida Atlantic played well, uh, throughout this tournament. Duke Oral Roberts, I think was one of the most, uh, anticipated matchups in the first round just because of what Oral Roberts did a couple years ago. And they looked horrible. Duke took it to them. And then Duke went and played Tennessee in the next game. And, they looked like a bunch of soft, rich kids like Duke is, uh, not gonna, not gonna give Duke any, any, uh, anything on that one. So yeah, uh, it's, they came out and just got popped in the mouth. Uh, it wasn't even a game against Tennessee. Tennessee was just more physical than them. Tennessee's center, I think didn't know what sport he was quite playing at the beginning of the game. It was a little bit of a mix of wrestling and football. He just came and just beat up Kyle Filipowski and thought that he'd fold under the pressure, and he did. He didn't want Duke did not want to be as physical as Tennessee did in that game, and that's what it came down to. They shut him down offensively. Um, Tyrese Proctor was the only reason Duke was in that game for most of it, and Tennessee just came out on top. Um, I gave shade to Rick Barnes at the beginning of the tournament. At, really, all year, it's like, oh, Tennessee's ranked high every year, and they never come do anything. Now this is one year where maybe they didn't have the expectation, even though they were a four seed. But just with like Duke being there and how hot they had been at the end of the year, it's like, oh, the expectations for Tennessee really isn't there. And it's like, wow, they came out and performed now. Now they have to beat Florida Atlantic and they'll make the Elite Eight. And, you know, it's like, hey, maybe Rick Barnes has got something rolling. We're going to have to see with that one. Um, Kansas State, Marquise Norwell. Norwell uh, wow. He's so good. He's he's not a huge guy. Um, That little kid is is the exact quote from... John Calipari after the game. Now it says Calipari called and apologized from him. I don't know. Coach Cal's a fraud. That guy sucks. Most overrated head coach in a while. I mean, yeah, not Kentucky wasn't ready to play uh, with Marquise Noel. He, he actually dominated that game. You always see like that one short guard that like just kind of dominates and takes over the tournament. It's just like, Holy cow, look what he's doing. A couple years ago was Carson Edwards, you know, like Jimmer Fredette's obviously done it in the past. And it's just like, this guy is insane. Like he's just, he makes every shot and we don't know how he's not that big. And it's like, he's, he's nuts. And Marquise Noel did that. He just absolutely rained on Kentucky, 27 points, shot the ball really well the whole time, made difficult shots the whole game too. And just created for himself so much. This Kentucky team or sorry, this Kansas state team with Jerome Tang at the helm, uh, a first year guy around there is something to look out for. I said that in the beginning, they're worth, 
a future in the final four. And I think that they are, it looks like they are they're two wins away from it. You could have got it at plus 900. I got it at plus 750. It's this Kansas state team is something to worry about and something to think about moving down Michigan state. Tom Izzo just wanted it. when everybody thought that Tom Izzo was starting to get a little bit overrated. He just wanted to say a little, just uh wave, just a little wave to the crowd and say, Hey, I'm still really good. I'm still here. This is a team that's not very good. They're a lot less talented than a lot of other teams. They're definitely not as good as Marquette. And Hey, we're just going to come out and just play better than you from start to finish. So like it or not, that's what Tom Izzo's type of teams do. They overperform. He's a great coach. A lot of final fours, only one championship. If he made, if he, if he got a championship this year, this would just absolutely put his resume into that upper echelon of like Dean Smith, Roy Williams, coach K, uh, Bill self, like those guys that have won multiple national championships. Then you get put on like that level of like, wow, that, that wow factor level one national championship. A lot of coaches have done it too. It gets to be a lot more of a selective list, a lot more of a selective list. Once you get into that two range, he's knocking on the door here. He's knocking on the door. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to win it. I'm saying that you can't doubt Tom Izzo right now because he overperforms and, and face it. I mean, believe it or not, this, this isn't a tough, this isn't a tough uh, region. So now let's quickly go over the games for this upcoming weekend. We have Thursday, Friday, sweet 16 and the elite eight. I'll give my picks for each of them. Um, and then we'll go into head coaching stuff and we'll wrap this episode up. Uh, Alabama SDSU. San Diego State's played very well in this tournament. Um, one thing that they do is limit the three, three ball really well. And that's what Alabama wants to do a lot of Alabama wants to push the pace. San Diego state wants to slow it down and play a little bit of a slower pace. We'll see what happens in this one. Obviously, I'm still going to take Alabama. Brandon Miller, Nate Oates is a great coach. Through and through, when Alabama is at the top of their game, they are the absolute best team in the country. The best team in the country when they are playing their best and they they won't lose a game if they play their best. Now, you know, if they they struggle, it could we could see that Alabama team at some point that lost by 30 to Oklahoma ran, randomly during the um, early parts of February. So we'll, we'll see, but, uh, for right now I have to take Alabama, um, to move on and then Creighton Princeton. Sorry, Princeton. I do think your run ends. Creighton's been playing really well. Kalkbrenner has been great. Uh, you saw Baylor Shireman make some big shots from them. Nemhart obviously has been playing well. Uh, I think Creighton takes that one against Princeton, Alabama and Creighton going into it. I think Alabama can just get Kalkbrenner in trouble. Foul wise, he's had problems with that at some points in this year. And then all of a sudden, you know, like Creighton falls apart a little bit. I can see that happening again. I'm going to put Alabama into my final four. Um, it should be an interesting region to watch because Alabama and San Diego State are going to play really contrasting styles of play. And then in the other matchup, you have a Creighton team that was supposed to be like really good at the beginning of this year. And then they kind of fell off for a while. Um, and then you have them playing a 15 seed. So definitely going to be an interesting region. So I got Alabama over SDSU. I got Creighton over Princeton. Then put Alabama into my final four. Moving over to the Midwest, I think there's a very good chance a national champion comes out of this region. This is a very, very good region. Texas is one of uh, the hottest teams in college basketball right now. They're so good. They play and they'll just choke you out defensively. And then at the same time, they can just get so hot on offense and just be like, they're a little bit streaky on offense, but they can get to those points where they just, Oh, they just suffocate you, and then they just hit daggers right in your, right in your face every single time. Uh, in that first game, Houston versus Miami, another game contrasting style of plays. Houston's gonna want to slow this game down, um, and try and put this into just a defensive battle. Miami's gonna want to speed it up with all their quick guards and great guard play. Um, I'm gonna take Miami over Houston in this one. 
Isaiah Wong, Jordan Miller, Nigel Pack. I think it's a little bit too much. I'm not sure if Marcus Sass was 100%. Um, Jim Laranega is maybe becoming a little bit of a story right now. I think that they just get over that hump. They're going to get into the Elite Eight. Um, and then Xavier versus Texas. In that next one, uh, Texas has been playing really well. Sean Miller is obviously a really good head coach for uh, Xavier. They've been playing better defensively here. Now, what does worry about Xavier uh, or Xavier is, you know, they they kind of let Kennesaw State hang around. We'll see what happens there. I'm going to take Xavier in 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 a region that's been very chalky uh, so far. I'm going to I'm going to put Xavier in Miami in my lead eight. Then you match up Sean Miller, uh, Jim Laranega. You match up some decent guard play. Um, the big man from Xavier is obviously going to be a problem for uh, for Miami, but. I'm going to take Miami. I'm going to take them as like my low seed that kind of just sneaks in there. Miami, the five seed, they're making the final four. Let's see what happens. That guard play is electric and that's what you need in March. Uh, it's been a crazy year. I'm not, I'm not here for the chalk. I'm here for the fun. Let's move into the West region, which I think is going to be the most uh, fun region to watch this weekend. It's out in Las Vegas, Arkansas, Yukon. Nate muscle or er, uh, Eric Musselman, Mr. March. Just, I, I don't know, Nick, Nick Smith Jr., it's, I, I've gone back and forth on this one a couple times. I'm going to put Musselman in the lead eight. Um, I'm going to do it. I'm saying Arkansas is going to take out UConn. Uh, now, if if UConn can beat up Arkansas down low, then then I think they have the advantage in this game. Uh, Hurley versus Musselman, great coaching matchup. Going to be a lot of fun to watch. I just think Arkansas is maybe a little bit too much for them. They're hot at the right time. They're finally putting it all together. Let's put let's put Arkansas into the into the final four there, or sorry, into the Elite Eight. Uh, and then Gonzaga UCLA Part Three, Part Three here, we're seeing it. Uh, Zaga is the most underrated team in the country. I don't think UCLA can win the national title. Zaga is going to be a little bit too much. UCLA is banged up. They're hitting their stride. Mark Few is a great coach. It's just a little bit too much. Gonzaga is going to the Elite Eight over UCLA. Then we got Arkansas and UCLA in the Elite Eight. This one's a little bit tougher to predict. Musselman still hasn't made a Final Four. I don't know if he gets over the hump here. I think Mark Few's coming out to prove like, hey, I'm still an elite of elite head coach. I know what I'm doing. Gonzaga is going to get in to the Elite Eight. Or, to, sorry, to the Final Four. All right. In the East region, the last region we're going to talk about here, Florida Atlantic versus Tennessee. Rick Barnes has coached really well. He's coached a team that just likes to play defense and be really boring and beat you up. I'm not sure if Florida Atlantic's seen a team like that this year. Um, I'm not quite sure if they have. Florida Atlantic also being a nine seed in the uh, Elite, or sorry, in the Sweet 16. Not much talked about right now. Florida Atlantic can score the ball with about anybody. They also play pretty well in the defensive end. I think Tennessee is just a little bit too much for them. Uh they haven't played someone like this in a while, uh, you know, a high level, high level guys in a while. Um, I, I just think Tennessee's a little bit too much. We're gonna move them in Kansas State and Michigan State. This is the one that I want to see both teams win because I love the whole like Jerome Tang dancing thing. I love Marquise Noel. Um, Kansas State also has the best story in the in the um country. And uh Tom is on Michigan State outperforming all the time. Yeah, I mean, I can see both these teams winning this game. I'm going to take Noel. Kansas State's going to move into the Elite uh, the elite Eight, and then 
I'm going to take Kansas State over Tennessee. Kansas State is just going to be a little bit too fast, and Tennessee is not going to be able to control them. They're going to make the Final Four. Um, that's a quick breakdown of the regions. What's all happened in this first week? We'll touch on some head coaching stuff here real quick. Uh, almost right after Iona lost that game, Rick Pitino like called St. John's like, yep, I'm taking the job. Let, let's get this done right now. And now he's over there. Mike Bray obviously decided that he, he was going to retire. And then a week later, he's like, no, I'm not retiring for basketball. I'm just leaving Notre Dame. Um, now it sounds like he's going to go get the UCF or the USF job. It sounds like, I don't know. It's weird right now. It sounds like he's at USF. I don't think you're, I'm not hundred percent sure if anything has been finalized yet. It sounds like Bray's there. I've touched on Tobin Anderson going and taking the Providence job or sorry, the Iona job that uh, Rick Pitino left. And uh, last one to talk about is Ed Cooley going over to Georgetown. This one's interesting to me because a lot of stuff has come out. Um, Ed Cooley said, you know, he was Providence for life. This is his team. These are his guys. And then he just kind of left. You know, he said like, oh, I've signed two lifetime contracts here. Uh, the money's not the thing. You know, it's it, it, it's weird. Um, right now with, with this one, it also, he put his house on sale halfway through the year in Providence. So people kind of saw this coming, but then, you know, now he's gotten the center from TCU that entered the transfer portal and he's already, um, committed to, uh, Georgetown. So there's a lot of speculation that he's been recruiting to Georgetown already. Like while he was the Providence head coach. So definitely the NCAA, I think is going to take a look into that. That's a weird, weird story to me. At the end of the season, we're going to talk more about coaching stuff. That's just a little recap. So, uh, yeah, Mike Breda to USF, uh, Toman Anderson, to Iona, Rick Barnes to St. John, or sorry, Rick Patino to St. John's, uh, Ed Cooley to Georgetown and Providence. Looks like they're probably going to hire the George Mason coach. Hasn't been finalized, but that is what I've been hearing on my end so far. So I would not be surprised if, if that one gets announced tomorrow. Also, Providence AD taking some shots at Georgetown for hiring within the Big East said that, you know, like we want to make this conference a loyalty and stuff like that. It's it's interesting over there. We'll talk more about head coaching stuff when the season ends. For right now, enjoy the tournament. There's 15 college basketball games left this year. Soak up every single second. I plead you. It's worth it. This is the best tournament in all of college basketball. We just got done with the best weekend of, of sports of the whole year. So, yeah, so much fun. So much more to happen yet. And thank you for listening. If you haven't listened to the Rico Bosco episode, uh, please go listen to that. Great guest. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.